Hey, everybody. Melissa McKenzie, publisher of the American Spectator here at the Spectacle with Scott McKay. We're covering the spectacle and we're starting out today with a tale as old as time. And it is the rivalry within the Republican uh, primary that's already starting to heat up. And, and that in particular is between DeSantis and Trump. What do you think is going on and what do you think is going to happen between these two, Scott? Um, okay, well, and you know, we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, January 31st. This morning, Ron DeSantis, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, uh, kind of finally popped back against Trump, mm -hmm. who has been kind of sticking pins in Ron DeSantis basically since November. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, like this whole thing is, is that, uh, you know, Trump is running for president and you've got all these other people talking about getting, I guess John Bolton actually did get in. Did but he? Between the, yeah, he like made an announcement apparently. Okay. Um, there was, I mean, is it really an announcement if no one is there to pay attention, <laughs> right. which is basically the story of John Bolton, presidential candidate. But you know, like Larry Hogan is talking about getting in and Asa mm -hmm. Hutchinson is talking about getting in and and scintillating uh, Nikki Haley and Mike Pence and mm -hmm. you know Mike Pompeo, who I think is a little bit more credible. I don't think he's got a chance to win, but he's credible because Pompeo is actually pretty awesome. Um and then you know, and so you know, they're talking about Glenn Youngkin may get in. But at the end of the day, and Trump knows this, the only one who's got any chance of unseating Trump as the as the 2024 presidential nominee of the Republican Party is Ron DeSantis. Everybody knows that. Now, DeSantis has told no one that he's running for president, okay? I mean, there are some rumors, but that's not a thing. And here's the thing. It can't be a thing because Florida law says Ron DeSantis, if he wanted to run for president, would have to uh, resign as governor of Florida. You cannot run for another office mm -hmm. if you're governor of Florida. You have to stay governor of Florida. So the only way this actually turns into something that's more than just sort of an idle discussion is if somebody brings a bill in the Florida legislature to mm -hmm. change the law so that mm -hmm. he can stay governor, governor and then run for president. Mm -hmm. To date, I don't know that anyone has filed that bill in this session of the florida legislature mm -hmm. okay so you know i mean unless there's a special session to move a bill like that um mm -hmm. i don't you know, like i mean I, I guess somebody could file it late and maybe like slip it in right before would you know, that be what you did i mean that's what i would do i wouldn't be Probably. doing and if you do it now it's going to completely disrupt the that's legislative correct. session that's correct so you, oh. you know you file it the last day you can file it and you try and pass it so that almost so that nobody pays attention. The problem is mm. everybody's watching. Oh that. yeah. So this is a last minute deal that the Florida legislature would do. Right. And to date, there's no buzz on it. Anyway, the point is as of now, whether you believe Ron, De Ron DeSantis is going to run or not, Ron DeSantis is not a 2024 presidential candidate. That is the fact he's not. Right. Donald Trump will not stop talking about Ron DeSantis, right. which 
I don't get it. I mean, I understand, you know, there's a certain gamesmanship going on. Like, it makes zero sense to me if I'm Trump. Like, to me, I'm going to not talk about Ron DeSantis. And I'm going to beat up on all the little bitty guys that are that are out there trying to sell books by being a presidential candidate. Oh, I don't know. I mean, the, the obvious strategy here is to bruise up DeSantis and give him, this is a warning shot. That this now, is a- well, now we can talk about what DeSantis said. Right. Okay. So um, Trump had, and this is like, he's beating up DeSantis by saying, you know, people think Florida did a good job with COVID. Let me tell you something. There were plenty of other Republican oh. states that did really well. And Florida wasn't one of them. Right. Like, so but- here's, De- so here's DeSantis's comeback. Did not mention Trump's name. He says, you know, the thing about being, you know, an elected official is, you know, you make lots of decisions or whatever, and people have the opportunity to weigh those and judge you for reelection. He said, and in my case, I got reelected by the largest margin of a Republican governor in Florida history. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, I mean, we got reelected by 1.5 million votes. It was almost double the print. The, like he went on and on and on about how big his reelection was and said it was because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Never mentioned Trump's name, but the implication was really strong. Like, mm-hmm. dude, people weighed your COVID response. And they ran you out of office. People weighed my COVID response right. and they gave me 60% of the vote. Right. Um, like that this one is, goes to DeSantis. Okay. Like that's a big, like he, he kicked Trump's ass on that. Trump's and, on you know, weak ground is, though, isn't he? I mean, Trump just so, uh, screwed the pooch with his, his, his response Trump's to COVID. COVID. Trump, like, like if you want to say, Trump lost the election. And I know there's probably lots of people listening to it. Like, oh, no, he didn't lose. And they stole from Okay, that's right. fine. All right. But you're not president now because you at least didn't get enough votes that they couldn't steal it from you. Okay. Right. Which, unfortunately, that is mm-hmm. the reality if you're a Republican. Until the Republican Party decides to stuff ballot boxes on its own right, all right, you're going to have to win above and beyond the margin of fraud. And Trump didn't. All right. And the proximate cause of that, because there was no way he was going to lose reelection in 2019. So the proximate cause of Trump's political problem was that he wasn't successful in dealing with COVID. Okay. Right. Ron DeSantis was successful in dealing with COVID. Now, maybe Mm -hmm. his circumstances are different. Maybe, you know, as a governor, you don't have to deal with Washington so much. Yeah, most of what DeSantis made his name on COVID was from 2021 when Biden was president and he had a little bit more information about the virus and what worked and what didn't. And, you know, understanding the mask and vaccine mandate and whatever, like that, that stuff was better understood. And he acted on information that Trump maybe didn't have at the same time. Yeah. Could have gotten rid of Fauci, could have gotten rid of Burks. Didn't do it, okay? But by the time that thing really got going, should have known that this was gain-of-function research, all right? Mm -hmm. All of that stuff got put away. So 
DeSantis's COVID response was better and DeSantis politically profited by it, period. And yeah. for Trump to have gone there, this is my thing. I have no problem with Donald Trump as the nominee in 24. And I know it's way too early to talk about any of the crap. Okay, I get it. But here's the thing. Being a nominee, I'm good. Don't suck. Okay? And this right. going after Ron DeSantis sucks. It's crap. Okay? It doesn't do any good. And the thing of it is, is that it misses the target. Because if I'm Trump and I want to go after somebody on COVID, I don't go after Ron DeSantis. I go after Joe Biden. Because right. Joe Biden is there. Trump move mountains to get those vaccines done. All right. Now you can say, well, you know, thanks for nothing. I get it. But at the time, that was the job, right? We've got to have a vaccine. It's a virus. It's a disease. You want a vaccine for the disease. And let's go get a vaccine. And he did a very good job getting that to market. All right. Joe Biden was the jackass who decided that everybody in the country had to take the jab all the way down to five-year-old kids and including right. freaking pilots and all these other people who at the end of the day, I mean, like the FAA, okay, had to change the standard for your EKG and lower it because it wouldn't have any pilots right. because it made all the pilots take the jab and now they've all got bad EKGs. And it's like, let's just put them in the plane anyway, which let me tell you something, five years ago, you said, What? Right yeah. now, we got no pilots, and hopefully the ILS will fly the plane anyway. So we just need a guy sitting in that seat, and it's like, oh, thanks. I'll <laughs> well, we remember do have that two the next guys there. Freaking plane lands on my house because it, you know, like the pilot freaking had a heart attack and freaking died, and then the plane goes down. Like I'll remember that. Thanks, guys, for your for your dedication to the highest standards possible. Right. <laughs> Like, this is where we are. And it's Joe Biden's fault. And why right. is Donald Trump not talking about that? Okay. Right. As opposed to like Ron DeSantis, who was clearly successful in dealing with COVID. I don't get it. And it, it right. sucks. And we need better than that. I mean, it's our, and I know, Melissa, you don't want to talk about Ron and McDaniel. I get it. Okay. Uh, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but Okay. Like Mitch McConnell didn't go anywhere. All right. Kevin McCarthy stayed, although I would still call that a success because at least we've had to impose some, we've been able to impose some standards on him. All right. Um, and now Ronna McDaniel's still around. And then Trump is going to suck, right? Because all he wants to do is shoot inside the tent and attack the things that actually work rather than attack the Democrats that don't work. What the hell is going on with these people? Like, seriously, can we not do better than this? I don't get it. Like, I really don't get it. Like, uh, you know. Do, and, uh, do better than like Ronna McDaniel? Well, the thing, I mean, you know how the RNC works, which is why I didn't want to talk about it. I mean, the, look, the been, RNC is a, a, a shitty organization. It like, is. It's a shitty organization. I mean, the so RNC like. The is a shitty organization and the RNC is worse, which is amazing. I don't know how you can't do better than, uh, what, what's that guy's name? Jamie, uh, whatever his name is, that's the head of the DNC, who's a joke. That guy's a joke. And he's better than what the RNC has. Well, he's better because the DNC has structurally different goals and different ways to achieve them, and they do achieve their goals. Yeah, well. So the true. RNC will actively work against and punish the uh, state-level GOP 
And also they're incompetent and they have on and off. There's so many ways structurally the RNC blows that it's, this is why I don't want to talk about it because okay. it makes me mad. It's been this way for the 15 years that I've been around back when they, I actually wrote documents, Scott, back in the day for re, to reform it, right? They asked for a committee to help reform certain parts of it. I spent all this work, wrote it up. It, it was funny because when the RNC got, um, hacked, just like the DNC got hacked. People don't remember this. They released all these documents. And of course, the New York Times prints all this up. And it's like big whoop de doo because the documents were just basically it was a who's who in the Republican or on the right uh, side of things explaining how the RNC could do things better and the RNC simply not doing any of it. That was, that was the big news. And so like, I'm so fed up with them as an organization. I'm fed up with Trump uh, supporting someone like Ronna McDaniel. I'm fed up with Trump having the worst um, judgment when it comes who, to whom he surrounds himself with. And then this kind of thing, Biden has teed up all this crap and uh, Trump is trying to protect his flank from DeSantis. Um, DeSantis isn't in there yet. And the best thing he could do is, is say this sentence, but he's so arrogant, he won't. Ron DeSantis is a great Republican governor. He is a model for state management. Yeah. But he has not been an executive on the national level and doesn't have the experience that I have. Look at what I did when I was in office, how the economy was, how our world alliances were. We can do that again. And we can do it better because we know more now. That's it. And then, and there's no response that DeSantis can say because it's true. And But he doesn't even have to say any of that yet because DeSantis isn't around. Well, that's the number one thing. Why are you creating an enemy? You don't win in politics creating enemies. You win creating friends. And people who are already enemies, you work to isolate them. But you win by getting more people on your side than the other guy has on his. And well, when he's you drive mad. away people in your own tent, you make that harder. And I, yeah. like, and I get to a certain extent the combativeness is what we like about Trump. Like, I get it, but here's the problem. You got plenty of people to do combat with, okay? You don't need to manufacture any more of them. And it, like, this is the thing that just, I, I, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it at all. I get it. He knows that DeSantis is probably going to run. It makes him mad because he thinks DeSantis should be loyal to him because DeSantis would have not have been elected governor if it weren't for Trump the first time. And that is the truth. And okay. so, so like, but I, so I get it, but have some political savvy, savvy, understand the position you're in, shut your pie hole and have some patience. Well, and how about, this? how about acting like you're the nominee? Right. Exactly. You don't need DeSantis. You got me. And let me explain how awesome it is that you have me. Right. Right. Which you can do. But like you said, you don't trash DeSantis. You accept it. Like, look, DeSantis is on my team. Right. You know, he's on my team. I helped get him elected, elected governor of Florida. He's doing 
Trumpy things and look right. how well it's working look out how, because people great in Florida working. are awesome. Okay. And they they fixed a lot of the electoral stuff. So you don't have hanky panky in Florida like you have in Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm -hmm. You say those things and say, look, this is how it's supposed to work. All right. If I wasn't getting right. If, the, if we were like a Mueller report on Ron DeSantis and it might have looked a little bit like me being a president. But if you give me a chance to govern unfettered for the next four years or for the four years after the 24 election, it'll look just like DeSantis because that's our style of governance. And we know that it works like people would go, OK. And the and the tone of that would be like what people want out of Trump, which is I'm in charge and I'm not angry and I'm not seeking out people to, you know, attack because I'm in charge and I don't have to. Well, right? the I thing is, is he can carry a big stick. And his deal is, is he walks mm -hmm. freaking hard and carries a little stick. And it, you know, and like you can do better than that. And you need to freaking work on that because it's the number one thing that, you know, it's like the suburban moms that don't, wait, you know what they, you know what the problem is? Okay, is people ultimately get to the point where they think you're all talk, right? And you're not action. Okay, so like if you're a legitimately fearsome individual, those suburban moms, all right, they may not really like it when you're mean or whatever, but like if they know that you have the juice to back it up, people get used to that style real quick. It's when they don't think there's anything behind it. Right. And they think you're just some guy ranting and angry because he can't actually do anything and you're, you're impotent. Like, it's not just the suburban moms. It's lots of other people that will look at that and go, this guy's kind of pathetic. And I'm not saying Trump is pathetic, but like attacking DeSantis like this. The thing, the problem that I have is that everything you just described on, an, on foreign policy is what he did. Uh -huh. He talked, yes. in a, he needs to take his, his ability to understand his enemy. Now, the thing is, he understands his enemy in America. It out, he, he finds it outrageous what he's dealing with coming from free people. And I'm like, no, you recognize that your worst foreign policy your worst enemy is not around the world. It's not she, it's not Putin. It's not any of these people. Right. It's both in your party and uh, in the opposition party in America. So act like it is as serious as it is because it is that serious. And the thing that bothers me is he isn't, and he needs to be a more polished politician to handle this. And I don't think he's capable of it. And, well, and, and that, then that to me is what this entire little imbroglio kind of demonstrates, because by now, Trump should have much better judgment than to be messing with Ron DeSantis, who is not a presidential candidate at this time on ground that is so much more favorable to DeSantis than it is to Trump. Right. Like you like this is this is not at all what you want to start a fight over. And like DeSantis never even mentioned his name and waxed him this morning. Right, right. Well, the thing is, is so then we have someone who is clearly terrible. And Trump, like Mitch McConnell, 
like the rest of the Republicans, can't seem to put in their mouths a bad word for someone like Joe Biden. And I'm like, why are you people all incapable of stating the obvious, which is this man it has sold out the country and he was raided by the FBI while he was bad mouthing Trump. He was being raided by the FBI and the media didn't report it. And the FBI didn't do this grandiose on camera and then take all the pictures of the things. And so we're just supposed to accept what's happening right now and pretend like we're not being run. Uh, the America is not being run by a guy who has probably, who is as compromised or more than Schiff and a guy who slept with a Chinese spy who are now off the Intel committee. Thank yeah. you, McCarthy, for showing some actual spying. Which well, was I mean, here's the thing. Neither Schiff nor Swalwell took $900,000 of Chinese money to do nothing. Right. Which is, you want to talk about the document yeah. thing? Like, okay, that's all fine. But what under, and I said this before, what underlies mm -hmm. the document scandal mm -hmm. is the scandal. Okay. Right. They found those classified documents. I don't know what's on there. I mean, they said it was UK, Iran, and Ukrainian stuff, which means it could have been exceptionally bad, all right? But it right. might have been nothing, okay? This might have been classified stuff, and if you ever looked at it, you're like, eh, no big deal. That's not the issue. The issue is where they found this stuff. They found it at this office that Joe Biden set up at the University of Pennsylvania, Puts in Washington, not in in uh, Penn is in Philadelphia. It's not in Philadelphia. They put it in Washington. Okay, fifty four million dollars worth of funding set this thing up. Most of it was from foreign sources. At least fifteen million dollars worth of Chinese communist money, and they paid this guy nine hundred thousand dollars to basically put his name on it. He did nothing. He stashed classified information in the file cabinets over there. All right. It was a it was a playhouse for all of his flunkies that he eventually brought with him to the White House. Tony Blinken ran it, which Tony Blinken didn't do anything either. OK, made the guy. Well, didn't, didn't Tony Blinken just step down? Did he? No. That happened it? today? Oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't Tony Blinken. Who was it? Ron Klain. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, Ron Klain stepped down. Yeah. The thing, the thing is with this is that you're you're exactly right. And, and back to Trump for a moment is why are we having this radio silence on something that is this bad? It should be every day. They, sh there should be somebody trotted out a different person in the Senate, not the, not the house, the Senate people with more gravitas and represent more people and have them talk about what Biden has done and how evil it is, but nothing. And what, by the way, is Trump doing with Lindsey Graham? Is Lindsey Graham his like, you know, CIA handler? Because it certainly feels that way. I mean, okay, back like, again, what are we doing here? Right. Do we, we're acting like Jeff Cruer at uh, reviver.com, which is another site that, that, that I'm doing. Um, had a great piece on Monday. He's like, the Republican Party's addicted to losing. Yeah. All right. And this is the stuff that Crowair was talking about. Like, 
you know, why are we continuing to feature things that we know are losers? All right. right. He was talking about Ron and McDaniel, but not just that. Right. And here's Trump. Like, oh, yeah, let's stick with Lindsey Graham. Probably one of the least popular politicians in America. OK. And yet, you know, we're going to we're going to break him out there. And it's nuts. It's nuts. But you're right. If uh, if Trump was president and you had all of this stuff that attaches to Biden now, specifically with the Chinese money and all the rest of that. Right. You would have Democrat senators and congressmen and everybody else rushing to microphones to call him a traitor. They called right. him a traitor over Russia stuff that was not. With, that was all lies. It was all lies. They, and they knew it. They knew that this was they cooked knew up it. by Mark Elias and Hillary yep. Clinton campaign. They knew it. But they went out there and called the president of the United States a traitor anyway. Mm -hmm. This we know that Joe Biden, both through Hunter and through this cutout, this University of Pennsylvania BS, yeah. we know that Joe Biden got greased by the Chinese. We know it. Yeah. It's not, this is not some wild conspiracy theory. We know that this is true. The right. paper trail is already established. Okay. Right. We, we know that it's there. We know that this guy did these, these grotesque oil deals with uh, not Cinepec, but the other Chinese state oil company through right. through Hunter, Tony Bobulinski did the whole, like we know all of that right. stuff is, is a legit deal. Then we know that he dumped a strategic oil uh, petroleum reserve on China. Okay, yep. like we know all of these things that happened. All right. If this was, if the parties were reversed, they would be in front of the TV every single day calling him a traitor until the American people believed it. Yep. Okay. And, and I, this is not some theory of mine. They did this to George W. Bush. They said, yep. Bush lied, people died, right? Yep. On, on the Iraq thing. And, you know, here's the deal. I, I like, I, I'm not going to sit here and defend the Iraq war. I think it was a mess. It was a disaster. But, I don't think that they lied their way into the war. I think they had rotten intel from the same crappy intelligence agencies that have certainly showed their mettle ever since, all right? And they acted on what they thought was right, and it turned out not to be right. In other words, it was a mistake. And the same Democrats that ran out there running, around, you know, he lied our way into war and all this kind of stuff, they had this access to the same intel that he did. And they all voted for the Iraq war. All right. 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 They were lying from the get go. But they saw a political opportunity because lots of Americans had turned on that war and probably rightly so, because we didn't need to be there. All right. But they demonized George W. Bush on that basis. Was it a nice thing to do? No. Was it ethical? Not really. Did it work? Well, they Blew up the Republican Party in the twenty six or two thousand six midterms. They got mm -hmm. Barack Obama elected president for crying out loud, and the country has never been the same and may never be the same again as a result of that communist going in, who is still. And I mean, I'm writing a whole book about this. He is still his influence is still there and it's still pervasive and it's still absolutely awful on this country. They were able to do all of that. Because they were willing to go to the mattresses on George W. Bush and to demonize 
not just the Republican president, but the establishment inside the GOP that he represented. And that GOP establishment has not been electable ever since, which is how you got Trump. Yep. Right? Well, so they well, the changed thing is, America is, though, based on those, on those at the yeah. t- basically lies. And yet we can't get Republicans to tell the truth about Joe Biden. Right. What's wrong with you guys? I mean, well, really- okay. Emerald Robinson had a couple of tweets today. I'm just going to read them. Do you know oh. who she is? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So, And she said this, the problems with the GOP run much deeper than the RNC chair. Does the GOP have a lawfare operation ready? Does the GOP have a Perkins Coy style law firm with an FBI skiff in place? Does it have a Mark Elias style election team ready? Does the GOP have a short list of loyal agents inside the Intel community? Does the GOP have a short list of loyal bureaucrats to regain control of our radicalized federal government? How about our colleges and law schools or Chinese owned Hollywood? Nope. Does the GOP have a plan for anything? Does the GOP funnel taxpayer money to network of conservative NGOs staffed with partisans every year? Does the GOP direct thousands of CIA agents to infiltrate media companies to censor the left? Does the GOP direct friendly corporations to support conservative nonprofits? And I said in response to this that her thread was great, but here's the thing. The GOP agrees with the left on the big things. They, like the left, hate the GOP base. So we have a GOP that is willing to fund all these leftist organizations to make sure all of this infrastructure exists, to operate against their own interests because... And when that happens, election cycle after election cycle after election cycle, which it has, then you have to ask the question, this is not a mistake or incompetence. This is purposeful. And they are batting for the other team. When we're not hearing people come out against Joe Biden every day because he is the worst, most, not only is he, does he have uh, Obama's communist belief system, and is this- I, he doesn't have that. Joe well, Biden is an old school union goon, uh, retread Democrat politician. At this point, he has no ideology. Now, if okay, you but say, the, okay, you can say Biden he's an- is team Obama. Then that you're correct. But Joe, don't don't just say Joe Biden because Joe Biden is that guy's brains is tapioca at this point. He doesn't freaking he didn't. I mean, Joe Biden 10 years ago would have laughed you out of school at the idea that he was going to give a speech in favor of, you know, transgender awareness day, like he did uh, back in what, May of last year. Yeah, but the thing is, does it matter if he's an empty hall who believes nothing, who's putting forth every single one of these Obama initiatives? I don't think so. And so at what point do we separate the belief system from the man? I mean, I think that he... And okay, the thing is, fair. is that gives him less credit than he deserves. He is, for better or worse, trotting his himself out there and say, saying this stuff. He is pushing for this. He did interview that little shitty kid who just got a, you know, you know, feminizing surgery and, and is making a mockery of women. He did this, not Obama, not any of Obama's minions running this godforsaken literally administration biden did this and we don't have politicians on the right fighting against this or saying anything and so don't come crying to me 
This is why I'm fed up with the RNC. I know who that organization is. It's a bunch of old Republicans who are afraid of change and the people who um, are keep everything the same because the same vendors get kickbacks on the state level that's, and on the national level. That's all it really is. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, you've got bad political consulting firms that latched onto the party years ago, and that's how they make their, their nut yep. every month is, is the, the consulting contracts. And these guys, without the RNC, they'd have nothing. Right. Because they can't get candidates to hire them anymore, all right? right? Because they lose, and the party just, you know, like it's it's a it's a jobs program for bad political consultants. Yeah, and and you know, and the reason Ronna McDaniel stuck around is because she was willing to hold on to all of these people. Yeah, and yeah. and Harmy Dillon and or Mike Lindell would have run them out on their ass, and you know, it had. You know, had you yep, got, yep. and I talked to a couple of people that voted in that, neither one of them voted for Ron. But I mean, you know, the, the, the answer was like, I don't dislike Lindell. I don't like, I don't dislike Harmeen. But like, neither one of them had the stature that this job really needs if you're going to make a real difference. Like, they wanted the heavy hitter to get into it and do it. And the problem is, no heavy hitter's going to want to take that on because it's a, it's a, the, the thing is, it's a swamp to try to get in there and blow it up and clean it out. I mean, like, you're going to have two years and then you're going to be leaving. Like, that's a, and, and if, how, if much, you're how lucky. much can you do in two years? You know, what they, what will happen is the first year you'll try to make changes. Uh, Mitch McConnell will tell quietly on the download, tell donors not to give money to the RNC take the money into the NRSC, which is what happened the last time something tried to get changed. And then all of the vendors who were fired for a year will be, get rehired under the new administration. And we'll lose again. And meanwhile, the R DNC has a 24 seven full-time staff at the DNC. They don't have on and off cycle. They keep things going. When Organizing for America existed under Obama, they absorbed it all, have the state-level offices operating all the time and fund them, by the way. And so if we wonder why on the local level we can uh, they can have these kind of vote-grabbing, you know, uh, ballot harvesting <coughs> operations, it's because the, the operation never stops and it's That's professionalized. Right. So I don't want to hear it. Anymore, the reason why I don't want to talk about this, and here I am talking about it, is because it makes me outraged. What is happening does not need to happen, but we don't have a party apparatus and Trump being the top of it, uh, willing to make a difference. So, okay. So, you know, instead, I want to talk about things like, oh, say your dog or Marie Kondo. And because they're actually making a difference in the culture in the world, uh, much more so than anybody in the GOP politics. Well, um, Marie Kondo then. All right. So Marie Kondo, and if you guys don't know, some of you men might know, us women probably know who she is, but she's the one who the kind of like the art of tidying up. She's from Japan and she was obsessive as a kid and made it into a business, wrote a book had a series on Netflix basically about uh, only keeping things in your environment and your life that, in her words, spark joy. And yes, 
And <laughs> this is probably too woo woo for Scott, but yeah. So now this woman who has had, has this, you know, monumental worldwide, uh, she's got like consultants all over the United States, all over the world, um, co will come into your house and help you tidy up is the deal. And, um, I read her book. I found it like a year or too late at, you know, after the phenomenon had taken off and, um, found it actually quite useful, uh, to kind of get on top of, um, to decide what to keep and let go and that sort of thing. It was a nice system and just some practical things. Well, she's had her third child. Um, and since having her third kid, <laughs> <laughs> and I know, cause see, when you have two children, for those of you who have one or two kids, there's this illusion of control. You can be a complete Attila the Hun in your home. You can pretend like, um, you have raised wonderful children because you only have one or two and you can, you know, keep them under your thumb or whatever it takes to, uh, make them into the little adults that behave in the manner prescribed um, but once you have three, all bets are off because you're outnumbered and there right. are some days where At the house, point, it's a brood or a litter. Yeah, it's a litter. <laughs> you are sitting in a house where I remember this. I'll tell you. So one time my mom was like, I don't think that the kids have enough toys. And I was like, you, okay. Okay. Grandma. Um, so, you know, I took her the, the next time that I had to like clean up, like reorganize the, the game room with all the, all the explosion of stuff. She's like, I, I take it back. <laughs> I invited her to help me clean. She's like, actually, I think there might, they might have enough toys. Yeah, I think so. Um, but you know, when you have three kids, um, things tend to unwind. One of the really good things though, that Marie Kondo did say, which I thought was great advice because I tend to have a messy desk. I'm, I'm very, you know, retentive about cleanliness. That is important to me, but a messy surface bothers me less because I'm always writing and working on something. My kids go crazy because I've got 500 tabs open on my browsers. How can you stand it? Well, I've always got stuff I'm working on and that's true of my desk as well, but I right. don't like anything gross or unclean. Okay. That's for me. And I don't like, I really don't like a sloppy house. Okay. However, you know, with kids, you have to, you have to decide what your battles are going to be. Right. But one thing she said, Kondo did say is don't nag your children, just organize your stuff. And it was like magic. So I stopped nagging. I got my own closet organized. I got my own stuff organized and it worked. So credit to condo. Now we have some people saying, ha, ha, ha. Um, uh, you know, we've, I read a piece today about, you know, yes, my house is a mess. I've got a lot of kids suck it. And I do think somewhere, somewhere between being, completely anal retentive about your environment and not caring at all. There's a balance, you know, there has to be some order in order to function, but anyway, so Marie Kondo, so amongst women and moms, this has been for many mothers, a moment of sincere triumph because they were like, ha ha, 
you thought you could do this and then you had the third kid. Well, and, and notably her first two kids, Marie Kondo's were girls and girls are different than boys. And her third child is a boy. And he's, if he's anything like my third child, who's a boy is a complete whirling dervish. And, you know, it's really hard to keep a house clean when like my son, when he was little would come in the house and start peeling off the layers of clothes. And you could see the trail all the way to his bedroom <laughs> as he, and he's walking around in his underwear. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't like clothes, you know? Um, so, <laughs> so it's hard to keep that kind of thing at bay. Uh, anyway, so that happened yesterday. We have the uh, business insider article. I mean, I'm guessing that there's a, you know, there's a, a, a finite amount of energy that um you know needs to be uh prioritized and and uh categorized properly um and you know there's also a finite amount of credibility as a parent that you can have um and you can squander that on the wrong things right um right. and you know and so like the this you know this idea that you're going to be a control freak as a parent um you know, the problem with that is your kids don't learn as much if you're not giving them a little bit of freedom in order to, you know, take risks, make mistakes, learn from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I, like, I think a lot that. of people, I think a lot of people get sidetracked on that. And, you know, there's yeah. this whole, you know, and I like, and I'm totally talking out of school here, but I like women are, I, women get a really, really bad um deal on this because you guys are told such lies about life that you know just get believed like this whole okay, okay, you, you can have specific? it all and you can do this and it's just like oh yeah well that's i mean like you know you're gonna turn every like you know the idea that you not only can you have it all you should have it all right. and if you don't have it all then something go is going wrong in your life right and you know, what I notice is, is it turns so many women into these mean, nasty people Well, that, because, tell you they're, because they're like totally <laughs> unfulfilled because they think that they like, oh, well, I'm doing things wrong. It's like, no, no, you get sold a bill of goods, right? I mean, you're actually doing fine and you just need to relax a little bit. But, you know, everything, it's particularly women's media, it's all about perfection. And, you know, I think that there's a certain, you know, um, characteristic of the sex that women are more meticulous than guys are. Like, I get that. So there's a certain piece to that. But it's so over the top. And I think Marie Kondo actually was part of the problem for a while. Well, that's how a lot of the women feel. My, well, my, I mean, yeah. And I don't think unjustly yeah. so. I mean, like, right. because, and you know, I mean, it's not necessarily her per se, but it's everything. If you watch women's mm. TV shows or any of those, it is so over the top with, you know, like you have to do everything perfectly. I and mean, you, you look at stuff that's targeted toward men and like, you know, I mean, well, guys watch war movies and it's like, everything has gone to shit. We're just trying to survive, right? Right. Um, and it's, I, I think it's a little healthier kind of societal standard that we give to men than we do to women. And, you know, I mean, it's not that men are happier because go look at the suicide rates and I mean, they never have been. 
um, and go look at like all the stuff that's out there on the internet. And it's clear that like men aren't happy either, but I see miserable women. And I think it's cultural, um, cultural cues that women are getting that are just terrible. And like every, I'm still single, every girl I go on a date with, this subject comes up. Um, and I mean, like, you know, like they're miserable. They absolutely hate it. Like I cannot watch TV anymore because everything I see just makes me sad. And I'm like, that's pathetic, but, <laughs> but I, I hear it all the time. Like I really hear it all the time. Wow. Well, um, I, you know, I, the thing is, uh, I will say that as a mom, who's at the end of, you know, raising my children, I've got my last one's about to go to college. Um, one of them's about to be married, you know, having gone through all of that, um, that the expectations are impossible. And I do think that if, so like somebody said, I can't remember who you can have it all, just not at the same time. And yeah. the thing is, is that I, because I worked and had children, my, but my children were always clearly the main priority always like, and, but some things had to be let go. The thing is though, a lot depends on, um, your spouse supporting you and like an understanding. And I think that the inter the stress that's brought into the family with a two working household. And then you have a bunch of kids where the expectation now isn't like when we grew up, the children have a bazillion different activities. All of the things that society expects now set the family up for failure and women up for failure in particular. And then the children end up feeling neglected, not feeling they are neglected in some ways. And and they're, then, not, they're not neglected. They're herded around. Well, I mean, that's like, well, I'm it, talking, wait a minute. I, I, I think they are neglected and I'll explain how they have the material things, but they don't because their parents are so tired and oh dealing with all of this stuff. They don't have the attention. Their parents aren't fully present. We talk about kids. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the joke is, Oh, screenagers, right. With their phones and stuff, but the parents between work and their whatever, or their games that they're are completely checked out. And the parents, uh, trying to find some sense of peace in their own life can't be fully present for their children. And so we have a very strange situation where the expectations are sky high, impossible, and, um, kids aren't getting at all anything what they need and the parents feel unfulfilled too during the well, pandemic a lot of women you know left the workforce because of this impossible situation sure and have found more happiness but for the single women out there who are trying to be at all and and especially for the single mothers the stress is enormous yeah. and impossible well, and I mean, you know, what you have for so many is like, like we sign our kid up for all of these different activities, which then impose time constraints on the parents. 
because you're a bad parent if you're not bringing your kid to this and sitting there and watching them and you know soccer practice or whatever all right look when we were kids nobody did that crap there was a playground down the street and you rode your bike to the playground and you're like hey mom dad you want to come to my game and they look at each other like can you go to this because like uh I'll tell you what, can't make this one. We'll make the next one. And this was not a rejection of you. Right, like, you right. knew your folks had things to do. Right, okay. Right. right. Like, you know, mom had something and dad had something. And like, you know, and now it's like, no, you have, you're a bad parent if you don't come get your kid and bring your kid over here and then stay there. And then you have to talk to the other parents who you don't like while you're there. And then you have to pick the kid up and you're going to bring them to, you know, Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. And then you're going right. to go here and there. And by then it's, you know, 930. It's like, oh, by the way, the kid's still got to do homework. Right. And mm-hmm. like my ass has got to get to sleep. Like all of this. Okay. It's dysfunctional. And of course, all of it works based on the school schedule that you don't set, right? So you have to yeah. get that kid up at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning to go put him on a school bus to go somewhere and all this. And I saw this mm-hmm. thing. I think it was at um, maybe Selena Zito uh, had this piece. And I, I want to say it was at American Greatness. And it was all about how the educational, they, 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 there's this poll that just came out. It was 1,500 people across the country, whatever. And it was one of these these kind of uh, new age polls where they're like giving you two different things and having you choose between them and all this to try to build like a psychographic profile of school parents right and they are 100 percent in revolt against the educational right. system as is they don't right. like the whole you know like the the constraints on their time yeah. All right. They, they don't like what they're I mean, And the parents got to find out during COVID what their kids were learning in school because mm-hmm. they had to proctor their kids online education at that point. And it was like, wait, what? So that opened everybody's eyes. And now everything about public education as it's currently delivered is unpopular with parents. <laughs> yes. And they're, you know, they're going to like send the FBI out to the school boards to the, and it's right. like, what you don't understand is that this is an obsolete system right. and it is making people miserable. The, there's two, two things and Republican politicians have like contributed to it. There's two things. Number one is um, the idea that we've got to preserve the downtown of the city. And so everybody has their, has to have their office there when they live in the suburbs which mm-hmm. means you've got 45 minutes each way right. fighting traffic to get to your work, okay? Which is a terrible, terrible waste of people's times, all right? And it, the Republicans run the suburbs and will not reclaim those offices to the suburbs where their voters live, which would be would solve traffic in all of these metro areas so fast it'd make your heart friggin' stop. But then the other thing is, is they've built up this public education um, you know, monolith that is based on college prep at a time when people have now started to realize that colleges are ripoffs. Right. Okay. Like they're in doc, we've talked about this a million times, indoctrination centers that don't give your kid a leg up on life. You're probably better off if your kid like finds some marketable skill that turns them on and then they're really good at and let like let them loose to do that i mean 
you know, Google doesn't hire computer science grads to write code. Google hires kids right out of high school to do that. Okay. You know, which I don't want to put Google down as the, as the gold standard of employment, not after they just cut loose 6% of the workforce. But the point is, okay, this is a cutting edge company, supposedly. And they don't give a damn for their, you know, their mainline work. They don't give a damn if they went to college. They don't give a damn about that. The, the, I mean, the most successful people in the business world that you can find, the Steve Jobses and Bill Gateses and Mark Zuckerberg, none of them finished college. I mean, Steve Jobs barely even went. He spent a semester at Reed College in Portland. And the only thing that Steve Jobs like learned in that entire time that he was there was calligraphy. He took a calligraphy course and that's how he fell in love with fonts. And that's how Apple is like, you know, the one thing everybody loved about when they first started selling Macs was all the cool fonts that you could, you know, install on your computer. Um, and like the, he says, like, that's what I got from college. Everything else was crap. Right. So the point is, um, we've built this entire structure that everyone is supposed to plug into and it makes people miserable. Right. And that's for that's for folks who have families. OK, where you're supposed to be happy. Right. I mean, our parents, our grandparents, I mean, that was like the post-war thing was, no, you get married, you have a couple kids, and it's an idyllic, great life. That's why everybody wanted to come to America was, no, this is like, this is like nirvana here. And we've turned it into hell because all of the structures that are supposed to support the family are obsolete in supporting a family of the 21st century. And that stuff has got to be reimagined or really just set loose to let the market reset it. Because if you did an educational marketplace, I guarantee you what would happen is you'd, you'd have micro schools and it would be like, no, bring your kid whenever you want to bring your kid in the morning. And we'll get started with an individualized lesson plan then. You don't have to be here when the bell rings at 730. Like we don't even going to ring a bell. When your kid shows up, there's 15 kids in the room. When the kid shows up, okay sit you down in front of a computer and you start learning. Well, Boom, the thing dark. is like one of the, this is happening. I think this is all starting to happen and we're going to have to go here in just a second, but this is starting to happen. My son is in a public school system. That's online. He gets up when he wants to, his teachers have open hours. So yes. like when he needs help, he's got, he can go as quickly through the curriculum as he wants to. He's a history buff. He's already finished AP history two weeks into the semester mm -hmm. because it, he knew everything and he just blew through it and got all A's. And then now, and then he can take his time with the classes he's having more trouble with. The class sizes are smaller. When he needs help, he doesn't have to go like I did when he was in the public school, which is get him a tutor because the teacher was too overwhelmed with all of her students to ever give individualized attention. He can have it now because he just pings the teacher and says, hey, can I have 15 minutes during this time? And they get together and they talk through everything. And so he's getting individualized. So she's answering yeah. his specific thing. And then off to the races, he goes again, because he knows where, which direction, like he just did this today, his AP environmental science uh, teacher. 
um, helped him set up an algorithm for his spreadsheet for his project. And because this teacher slash professor had time, they could walk through it together. And he learned a whole new skill in addition to learning about environmental science. Right. I can't even tell you how great it is. Most days he gets up around nine, but sometimes, you know, he's a transplant kid. Sometimes he gets up at noon because he was tired and then he can work till midnight if he wants to. He does his homework over the weekend and homework is the actual assignments. Yeah. And so it, I can't even express to you like how much better the system is. Now, my kid is self-motivated, but this is another thing that they have. And I don't know if I've talked about this before. They have a success coach who emails the kid and emails the parent every week and says, "This, hey, this is how your kid's doing. And we're really happy with his progress or I'm concerned about this class. If there's a challenge that he has, we do a conference call. We all sit there and talk about it and that's it. I mean, it's just, I can't even imagine for the parents who've had children in the public schools and their kids have struggled, how great it must be to have a success coach keeping them informed and also helping the child succeed. I, I just, it's gotta be the best, but well, these things. Everything else in the economy works on an individualized basis now. Right. Everything else. Does. I mean, even right. advertising is individualized. That right. you, you get these creepy freaking hyper-targeted ads. Okay. Like right. everything in the economy works that way. And then there's public education, which is like, you know, still to stamp them as they come through the conveyor. Right. right. And it doesn't work. Okay. Right. And we like, we're, like all of the things that are left in our society that are built on that industrial age yes. uh, framework are making us miserable. And it like, who wins? And I keep saying, who wins the next, you know, go round is the one that actually starts making policy and starts driving cultural, you know, imperatives to meet the new reality of all this. And I mean, it has to be the Republican Party. The yes. Democrats, I mean, you know, they're, like they're, they're ultimately, you know, that's group politics and, and all the rest of this stuff. They're, they're, they're not structured for any of this. But the well, GOP also so bad they can't do anything. If they could ever get off their butts, they could fix this. And then they dominate. Yeah. Well, let's hope some of them are listening and we'll implement some of these things and, and really up. go for it. Yes, wake, wake up. up. Well, we were going to talk, I, I will just leave on this note. I hope that all of you will go read a current piece that's up at the American Spectator by Scott. It is a beautiful discussion of dog ownership and what it means and his current dog and his life with this dog, who is a very special Bingle, who is currently waiting for his master to take him on a walk. And so I hope you'll go read it. And in not only Scott's piece is great, but we have had blockbuster content recently. And um, yeah, really, the spectators really been on a roll lately. Right. Really been on a roll and had really great education content, higher ed, doing some investigative reporting and exposing some colleges and what they're doing, how they're tormenting the professors who won't submit to this whole woke DEI baloney. Right. And so there's a lot of good stuff over there. 
Anyways, go read Scott's piece about it. We were going to talk about it today, but we've run out of time. You may hit it next week. Yeah, we can hit it next week. And we thank you so much for listening today. Please like and subscribe everywhere. And uh, you can find it on our website. And then we have our own website. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, Rumble. (laughs) There's no excuses. It's everywhere you are. So please uh, like, share, and listen. And we really appreciate it. Scott, any final thoughts? Nope. Nope. Just, you know, glad to be uh, doing this again this week and we'll, we'll be back next week. And, you know, hopefully there'll be some uh, interesting, fun stuff that we can talk about that isn't so negative. We haven't been negative this week. I don't think. Not that we haven't, haven't, we haven't been really that negative this week, but I got a little, I get a little exercise about this GOP structure, but otherwise I think that I think ultimately what we're talking about with education I actually am hopeful. I think yeah. we're on the cusp of a education revolution. Yep. And yeah. It. So, I mean, and and that's it's it's a long time coming, but the the children of the future I think are going to have a a different experience than certainly my children did, which is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. So with that, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening.